there are a lot of people that didn't think we could do it. And as we gained more traction and grew and were successful, it opened more doors in terms of people being comfortable. And I guess I just have a, a higher risk appetite. Hello and welcome. Matthew Grant here, partner at Instech London and your host. I am delighted to be joining you for the next 30 minutes, whatever you are up to, wherever you are. Now, we may be broadcasting from London, but despite what is going on elsewhere in the world or in fact isn't going on, our podcasts do travel freely around the globe, unconstrained by tariffs or trade agreements, and over half our listeners are from outside of the UK. And if you are one of our regular listeners, you'll know that my guests range from technology founders, leaders from the major insurance companies, investors, and influencers. Well, whether you are regular or this is the first time for you, I have a treat for you. This week, I am talking to someone who has achieved success in every one of these areas. Now, Rod Fox is CEO and co-founder of Tiger Risk, which is on track to becoming one of the top three global reinsurance and specialty brokers. I've known Rod and his colleagues at Tiger Risk for many years, and it's been fascinating how they entered a highly competitive market and have established a leadership role in just over a decade. Innovation, technology, and outstanding customer service at the heart of what the business does and culture is very important to Rod. We're going to be talking about what took Rod into insurance and what he could have done, why and how he founded the company, and how and why the company set up a successful division building and licensing analytical tools with, by the way, some very happy clients. Rod talks about the future role of the broker and innovation in insurance more generally. And as we bring this year to a close, he shares his vision for the future after what has been an extraordinary 12 months. Now, I know you're going to enjoy this and whatever your role and wherever in the world you are, you're going to find something useful to learn here. And if this is the first time you've joined us, there are many more great guests in our back catalogue, just a thing to keep you informed and engage in these dark winter nights. Rod, great to have you joining us today. Uh, you've had a really interesting history in insurance, a lot to learn both from an insurance perspective, but also for people looking at building successful companies. You started your career back in 85 at EW Blanche, then on to Benfield. And then in 2006, you had a, a brief foray into insurance with Praetorian as CEO, which then sold to QBE a couple of years later. And then in 2008, you set up Tiger Risk Partners with Jim Stannard. Most of your life has been in reinsurance, although you had that brief interlude in insurance we're going to talk about shortly. And then earlier this year, uh, great to see Tiger Risk had announced some strategic investment from the investors FlexPoint. So delighted to have you here. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Um, really glad to be here. Looking forward to it. So Rod, a lot of people I talk to have done something else in their life and then decided that insurance seems to be the most interesting thing. And at this stage in their career in insurance, you, if I've read your bio correctly, uh, went straight into insurance back in 85. So what was it right back then that led you to joining insurance? I don't think I ever uh, started with the, the goal that I would be in insurance. In fact, I was going to be an American football coach and was dead set on that. And along the way, met a gentleman by the name of Ted Blanche. And Ted suggested I come work for his company one summer. And I asked him what he did. And he said, reinsurance. I thought, oh, my goodness, that sounds horrific. Um, 
I, I did the American football coaching. I think I made twelve hundred dollars. Um, I learned a little more about E.W. Blanche Company. Called them up. Started in nineteen eighty five, and uh, and went from there. Wow. So uh, yeah, I guess football's loss is uh, is reinsurance again. Although you, you haven't kind of totally let go of that. I'm not quite sure if football is extreme sports, but doing your your, your triathlon and your Ironman, are you still you still doing that in in this world of lockdown? You know, I did a bunch of that. I haven't done one lately. I will. Um, you know, the the full Ironman is a massive <laughs> commitment, and I guess during COVID, there, there's theoretically more time. But um, uh, haven't done one lately. But uh, I did I did stay involved with football and another American la- sport, lacrosse. Um, coaching through, you know, middle school and, uh, and, and junior high school uh, for a number of years. So I, I did continue to touch it, but uh, it's been significantly insurance and reinsurance for a number of years. Yeah, well, I've got great admiration for anybody who can do uh, anything as big as this Ironman triathlon. I managed to get as far as a sprint, but that was, that was quite enough for me. And then isn't it interesting, this sort of choice between insurance and broking. So obviously start off in broking, had that experience with Praetorian, but I guess you could have gone either way at that point, couldn't you? You could have stayed in insurance or gone into broking and you chose to set up Tiger Risk as a broker. So just interested, what, we, what was it you made you choose that path versus the other options? You know, I, I really love the broking business. I think it's fascinating. I think the variety of it, the different client situations, the, the volatility of the market from time to time, just it, it's really captivating. Uh, when I went to Praetorian, which was previously called Clarendon, the chairman of the Hanover Re at the time, Willie Zeller, was recruiting me to, to come run his company, Clarendon, who was a huge client of mine. And I, I said, you know, they came at me three times and ended up doing it on the third time. But I said to him, yeah, I don't really know anything about running an insurance company, which I didn't. But I was able to hire some good people, some really talented folks like Susan Rivera and others, and, uh, and certainly figured it out fairly quickly. Um, it is a different business. Um, I think it, it takes a longer time to, to make an impact at an insurance company. It's just you've got policies that renew throughout the year, and really making you know, impact takes a long time. So I, I've loved the broker business. I've loved Tiger. Um, and and I think this market we're coming into is is really fascinating as well. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to talking about it in a few minutes. But I mean, for me, you know, I've always had huge admiration for brokers and, and, and been familiar with what you did at Tiger Risk and right from the very beginning and, and know each other well. But you know, in particular, I think as a broker, you've really only got your people, there's a bit of technology coming in now, but it's really, you know, to me, it's always been about the quality of the people and the relationships Whereas you know, selling a product or a service, you can fall back on that. But if you haven't got the right people in a broker world, it's kind of very hard to, well, you just, you're not going to survive, are you? No, no. And, and you know, you nailed it. And, and I think, you know, I see people, you know, talk about all these services from the brokers, but it is fundamentally, it is all about the creativity and the energy and talent of your people. And you know, we talk about that almost every day. But that is the that is the secret sauce. And and the other services and technology, et cetera, are all important, but it's fundamentally the people and what they're doing on a daily basis. And for those not familiar with Tiger Risk, I mean you've 
continue to evolve as would be expected for any company that's, that's growing. But can you just say a few words to help people sort of understand what you're doing as a business and what areas you're involved with? Sure. Um, so you mentioned Praetorian earlier. Um, we had agreed the sale to QBE, um, I think it was in 2007, and I was having lunch, just a casual lunch with an old friend of mine, Jim Stannard, who'd left Renaissance Re. I was going to be out of Praetorian. And we're just talking about the business, and we both agreed there was a spot in the market for a really high-end reinsurance broker, um, bringing different forms of capital to risk and, and bringing a, a significant amount of, of talent, you know, human firepower to bear. And Tiger was born at that lunch. And, you know, a couple you know, lessons learned over 30 years in the business, we applied to it and we wanted to work with larger, more sophisticated clients, work on big, complicated transactions. We we're able to attract some, some really good talent initially and have grown that. Um, our, our initial foray was significantly in the cat business. And, and since then, we've really expanded. And we were primarily North America, but expanded into London, Bermuda, Hong Kong, um, expanded throughout North America. And, and the product set has grown from really the cat you know, business to a uh, world-class capability and legacy transactions and capital market transactions, as well as specialty casualty reinsurance. So um, we were fortunate also, and we, we sort of saw this coming, but without perfect clarity, we thought there would be consolidation. And there has been, um, you know, companies like RK Carville, left the playing field, Collins, which was a North American broker, left, um, JLT was swallowed up, Willis is about to be swallowed up. So we thought that we could play into that with, with really high-end talent delivering sophisticated solutions, and it, it's worked. No, it's great. I mean, there's, there's a lot in there I wanted to sort of unpick, actually, because there's some really interesting and I think important areas that a broker offers that people aren't always familiar. So, so you mentioned at the beginning of there that you, one of the areas you saw opportunities on was finding different capital for your, for your clients. Can you just talk about what that means in practice? I mean, you touched on the capital markets team you've got as well. So I know that's part of it. But again, that for people who aren't really familiar with how a reinsurance broker operates or you know, some of the sophistication that a, a reinsurance broker operates, can you just explain what the different capital choices are you know, you can offer to your clients? There's what I would call rated balance sheets, which would be your traditional reinsurance slash insurance company or Lloyd's. And then there were a variety of different, I, I would call them alternative capital um, offerings that were, were really just starting. Uh, they're sort of nascent back in 2008, but you had um, insurance link security managers being formed and that would be a company like a, an ELIS. Um, you had pension funds looking to invest either directly into insurance risk or through a manager. You had actual securities like cat bonds and uh, other, other forms of, of specific securities. So it, it, the whole capital solution bandwidth was widening 
from just a traditional insurance or reinsurance carrier. And we felt and, and still do that the risk will try to find the most efficient capital. And at the end of the day, it only took me 25 years to really figure it out, but reinsurance is just another form of capital. Um, and so we wanted to be able to bring the whole suite of, of options and, and, and we do that today. Yeah, that's a great phrase that uh, risk will find the most efficient form of, of capital. Uh, and then there's one other there's a term you used when you were talking about what you do, which I think I understand, but I want to make sure I've got this correct. So when you talk about legacy transactions as one of the roles that you play or where you help your clients, is that taking books of business that have been run off and you still need to find reinsurance coverage for them, but are uh, no longer sort of active businesses? Exactly, exactly. So you know, significantly in the casualty business with long tail, I think the most, you know, common example is asbestos and environmental insurance, particularly in the US, but also in the, in in Europe and the UK, um, where companies have a block of policies, they're, they're no longer writing, but they have long tail liabilities and easier to have a professional manager run those off. And I think it, it, it's grown significantly during our, our involvement, and I think it will continue to grow. If people are not familiar with that long tail, I mean, those go back, what, almost decades, don't they, in terms of the liabilities, and it's hard to reserve against those. So basically what you're doing is helping people tidy up their balance sheet by, by taking those off into a separate entity, and, and it's a sort of cleaner financial situation for people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking 50, 60 years plus on some of them. And then on, on this, the people bit, we touched on this a little bit. You, you, like anybody building a company, wants to attract good people. I mean, clearly now you've been around for long enough to establish all the great things you're doing. But in the earlier days, and maybe even to some extent today, when you're, you're attracting all the great people you are from others in the market, I mean, what is it about Tiger that encouraged them or encourages them to move to a you know, arguably smaller organization, particularly in the early days, probably less safe versus you know, where, they, where they were at the time? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, Matthew. I'm, I'm probably a little naive. Like, you know, we started Tiger, you know, we had Jim and me and then a couple more people. So let's just say we had five or six people and um, we had some early risk takers that, that wanted to join us. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out why others wouldn't want to do it. And I think it was just their risk appetite of startup. There were a lot of people that told us we couldn't do it. There were a lot of people that didn't think we could do it. And as we gained more traction and grew and were successful, uh, it opened more doors in terms of people being comfortable and um, I, I guess I just have a, a higher risk appetite. I've just noticed as these firms become ever larger, they become soulless um, and, and maybe not completely, but you're just sort of an automaton working in a big machine. And we spend a lot of time talking about culture. We talk about high performance and we talk about being great at life. We don't want you just to be a reinsurance or insurance wonk. We want you to be great at life. And I think Tiger has a real soul. And I think people gravitate to that over time. So where do you think that's going to end up? Because if you, you, you kind of reference some of the names in recent years that have merged, uh, 
what, what happens? Is it now a race for the third player or do we start to see a bit of a, a differentiation, you know, almost like a barbell? So you get the, the big the big companies, but then you get more boutique players coming in and that's a, that's a space people are going to go after. Yeah, I, I'm biased. Um, I do think Willis ends up, and including Willis Ree is part of Aon, and today we're the we're the third largest intermediary. We'll continue to grow. I think there's room for others, no question. This is not you know a, a three person game, and I think there'll be startups and people will merge over time. Um, I think it'll be fascinating to see where it goes. You know, we're going to have two gorillas, but I think in a marketplace where you've got two huge competitors, there is room for a different opinion and a different style. And you, one of the things Tiger's really known for is our innovation. And, and we spend a lot of time on that. And I think we can add a lot of value to companies around the world. And for those not familiar with the detailed mechanics of how the reinsurance broking world works, I think it's true to say that a lot of the larger insurers will work with multiple reinsurance brokers on different lines. So it's not like it's an all or nothing and they go with one of the big ones. There's no room left for you. And you're, you're working on accounts where there's other brokers involved. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you, you'll have a large insurance company. Maybe they have two, three, four, you know, five different parties working on, you know, somebody's working on the cyber Somebody's working on the natural catastrophe. Somebody's working on the motor business. Um, and they solicit ideas from, from multiple parties and then decide who they want to execute. Well, I'll come back to Rod in a moment. But in the meantime, did you know that 18% of adults in the UK now listen to podcasts on a regular basis? And in the US, people are listening to an average of six different podcasts each week. And I just found out there are over 50 regular podcasts on insurance. And although one third of people find their podcast by doing research, the remaining two thirds are found by recommendations and word of mouth. So what this means is if you are listening and liking what you're hearing, please do spread the word. And within Stack London, despite the challenges of the last year, we are also delighted that we've been able to continue to build the business, supporting many of the greatest companies in insurance and technology, you're hearing from one just now, in sharing their stories, meeting their partners and clients, or just getting our advice on a regular basis. So if you'd like to learn more about becoming a member or sponsor of Instec London, you can find out what we're doing on www.instec.london or contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or hello at instec.london. Now back to Rod. Rod, just on that point about innovation and digital, I mean, Tiger was one of the leaders with a placing platform with your global remarket platform Lloyds just recently announced it's no longer going to develop its platform in-house, which I think makes a lot of sense. What do you see the future being of platform providers? Uh, it's both as a sort of technology play, meaning there's value of being that platform provider, uh, but also is it going to be, uh, again, a bit like the broken world, it's going to sort of narrow down to one or two providers or is there, are there going to be multiple choices out there? I think you and I share some frustration with quote unquote technology in the insurance industry, particularly in this space, which you described as the placement platform. So effectively the transaction, um, the risk being placed in the market, there is no reason we should be operating in a circa 20th century model, you know, with emails and things like that. And this has been sort of a 20 year crusade for me 
and I'm personally frustrated that we as an industry haven't moved faster. And, and your point about our, our technology, the global remarket, we finally just said, forget it. We're just going to build it ourselves. You know, we're not going to wait for somebody else. Um, we, we did partner with Willis and, and with their merger with Aon, that, that, that's not going to work. But I think to your question, you'll end up with a handful of broker systems, which doesn't make sense in my mind. There should be a, a multi-dealer platform, but the ability of different parties to work together has been always challenging. It will happen, but I think you're going to end up with this sort of, you know, area of multiple broker systems finally winnowing down to one or two or maybe three. If you look at the history of any technology, I mean, the automobile industry or the railways, and they start off with lots and lots of players, ultimately commercial interests, hopefully will you know, weed out the ones that don't work and you know, the ones that do work will end up in a sort of happy competition. So yeah, I'm, I'm sort of optimistic that we'll end up with some niche ones for sort of marginal business and then maybe a couple because you get out to only one, then I think that's got its own problems. Completely um, agree. Then, of course, you've got your own technology, though. So uh, the Tiger Eye tool for looking at portfolios, which you developed in-house, and you know, most brokers have got different types of technology. But I mean, you actually have been successful in running that as a, a business that generates revenue. Uh, yeah, it's I know well because I've spoken to a lot of people about it. You know, got incredibly positive feedback from your clients. I guess, Rod, if you hadn't gone into, into reinsurance broking, you could have gone off and been a, uh, a technologist. But you know, is, that, is that a sort of trend you're going to see continuing? With, we've got Global Remarket, you've got Tiger Eye. Are you sort of looking at investing in and maybe starting up or partnering on more technology offerings? Yeah. I, you know, Tiger Eye, and thank you for the kind words, has been successful. Um, its primary initial use was for ourselves to be able to look at portfolios. It now has its own very strong and diverse client base. Um, it's interesting, just on the broker business overall, when we first got into the, when we started Tiger, one of our now largest clients called us and said their broker, you know, a top two global firm, had just sent them all of their cat modeling analysis in a Federal Express box in a notebook. And they had no idea what it meant. So we went up and this is the human part of it and the expertise and explained to them what the analysis was saying and then talked to them about, you know, things they should implement to, to help affect their business. And, you know, we were building Tiger Eye. They became a Tiger Eye user. And we think Tiger Eye will, will continue to grow. And yes, we would like to have other similar technology offerings that are uh, available to third parties. It's a classic case, isn't it, of an organization, whether it's a startup solely focusing on a product or in your case, seeing a gap where there was a need, you put people to sort of help figure out the need, help the clients, and then you found you had a product on it that stood on its own and then invested in it and it's continued to grow. And I, I mean, one of the things I smile about when I think about it is when I remember seeing, the, seeing it a few years ago and and talking to your team and Vlad about the way they're presenting it and saying, well, it's, this looks really complicated. It's got a lot going on there. Is there a simpler version of this? And then talking to somebody who presented it to us, and I love, I love all the complexity and the flexibility. And I think it's a reminder that sometimes people in building products, you know, there's definitely a, a space for the sort of 
minimum viable proposition and simplifying things. But when you're dealing with is, is you are complicated reinsurance treaties and looking for ways to you know, maximize the capital, sometimes it just has to be complicated, but it's, but it's still fit for purpose. And the two aren't necessarily incompatible, but it was, it was a great lesson for me. Um, <laughs> not, not trying to oversimplify things you know, no more than they need to be. <laughs> I love that. So just you touched on cyber, but we're all hearing about insurance protection gap and also intangible assets generally is a big theme just now. Lloyd's, of course, is, is, is doing more work on that. Is that an area that you see more opportunity for you, sort of trying to figure out things that can't be modeled and expanding, as you said, beyond the sort of natural catastrophe and more liability or however it ends up having an impact? Yeah, I, I look at them as two things. I mean, we're we're expanding significantly into different specialties, whether it's liability broadly or, or different subsets of liability. And then I, I think there's a huge protection gap on top of that. Um, and, I, you know, just generally, it's interesting. I think there's an opportunity for more insurance um, in, in all sorts of areas. And, I was talking to somebody who is a non-insurance person. Uh, they were just fascinated with insurance as quote unquote, a, a technology. And it really is a lubricant for the global economy. And so I, I think you're going to see more, you know, people have talked for years about the protection gap. I think it's becoming bigger, you know, whether it's weather derivatives or you know climate change and its effect on different businesses and so i think that's going to be huge and then i think innovation around insurance is a huge opportunity and i think the you know the the ability to embed insurance products into everyday things is going to be part of the future as well like you know why do you have to go buy automobile insurance separately? What if it just comes with the car? I was talking with somebody the other day that was selling an embedded um, climate product with seed, so agricultural seed. So when the farmer bought a certain amount of seed, embedded in that was a weather derivative in case it rained too much or it was too hot or whatever the situation was, they almost had a warranty on the seed and it was built into the price. And I think that's the way the world will go, it should go. And I think you're gonna see insurance continue to expand. Yeah, that last example, maybe a different one you're referring to, a more recent one, but certainly that's what they did in Kenya about 10 years ago. And what was, from an innovation point of view, what's really intriguing about that is because it was, you know, cents that were available for the insurance premium, you, that they had to find a way to sell it and actually to pay the claims that was very, very cheap. So it was done, they said, through the seeds, they used the telephone network and Pesa to pay people for claims and, and uh, it actually was backed up by government. So I think that's yeah, definitely that embedded insurance. I think there's lots of examples out there. But I mean, in terms of some of you know, what is still moving quite slowly and if you if you look at it from the perspective of what you have access to. So you've got great people, you've got great relationships, you've got both capital to build technology, you've access to capital to to deploy as capacity. What are are the barriers, you know, to really, for this to change at scale? Because we can sort of see where the opportunities are, but but what what would be your kind of wish or what do you think is blocking at moving faster? You know what? I think it's almost a little bit of inertia. 
And many people have day jobs. And I don't know if that's a good answer, but I, I just think we've at high level talked about it as an industry and haven't devoted the talent to the problems. And I think we're getting, we're getting more talent involved, but I just think historically it was a lot of, a lot of chat and not enough action. And, and hopefully that action is coming. I would say, you know, this afternoon, the insurance industry is extremely busy. Um, you know, whether it's COVID, hardening markets, you know, new players. So this afternoon, there's not enough attention being devoted to it. But I think as we go forward, there will be. Because I think it's a, it's a global situation, whether it's, you know, weather products around climate change, et cetera, you're just going to see an increased demand. And I think there's going to be a lot of interesting developments as we, as we go forward. Good. Well, you may, you may you know, interested to hear uh, that we've got a number of your people signing up for tomorrow. I'm doing an event with Google and we're talking exactly to Google about how do big companies innovate? I mean, everyone knows that Google have got this 20% sort of innovation time, but the question is how do you actually bake that into your day in reality? So um, <laughs> maybe you prefer your people to be doing all the things they should be doing, but I think it's a good sign. They're kind of learning from people like Google about how you do this and, and grow the business. Um, I, I love that. You know, I, I mean, I, I wish, uh, you know, I, I had the, the perfect discipline to have 20% on innovation. Um, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, right? well, they're going to reveal some of how they actually do it. Um, but uh, you, you mentioned COVID there, so I want to quote something back to you on, on that in terms of innovation, where you said COVID-19 is the greatest market opportunity in this lifetime. That, I guess that could be one or both of the ability to offer very specific sort of pandemic cover or it's just forced the market or people generally to think about being much more digital? Just to be clear, I think that my message was most interesting marketplace of my lifetime, not specifically just COVID, but broadly what's happening. COVID as what I think will be a very big loss it's possible additional loss from COVID being that business interruption. It's social unrest, social inflation, low interest rates. You know, it's created, you know, natural catastrophes. It's created this whole chaos around the business and our clients, which are generally insurance companies. And then stack on top of that, the consolidation of, of two of the largest you know, insurance distributors in the world has just created this incredible market opportunity. So it's, it's not just COVID, it's, it's everything else going on, plus COVID, plus consolidation. Clients need solutions, they need innovation, there's stress on the system, there's a need for new capital, there's a talent um, situation. So there's just, everywhere you look, I think there's opportunity. It's been an extraordinary, extraordinary year and uh, it's not over yet. So who knows what will happen by the time we actually <laughs> release this recording, but hopefully more positive news coming out, like words as vaccine rather than more things we've got to deal with. But yeah, definitely it's a spurt, as you say, spurt innovation in every which way. And you touched on that hardening market earlier. Or, I mean, is there a risk that's also driving out innovation? I mean, you alluded to some of this, people are busy, but also there are great opportunities out there just purely on the basis of 
you know, the, the sort of the changes in the rates. So are, are you seeing amongst your clients sort of less interest in, in more tactical innovation than just getting back to the core business? I, I think the market forces you back there a little bit, just simplicity and, and sort of the straightest path. But I think overall it will drive innovation. I think there's a short term, everybody's head down and just sort of get their, get their things done. But I think it will create a, a draft of innovation that will sweep through and hopefully we'll have all sorts of, of new, new ideas, technologies, products, et cetera, to, to help this market going forward. So short term, I think it squashes innovation a bit and not, not universally. I think there'll be people will have to innovate to survive, but longer term, I think there's going to be much more innovation around it. Good. And hopefully the draft you're referring to is the kind of draft you get like with a peloton of cyclists that pulls you along as opposed to a, a draft that comes in through some leaky building and just. No, exactly. Exactly. You don't want to be in the leaky building. You want to be <laughs> pulled along. <laughs> uh, excellent. And then just sort of, as we sort of get close to wrapping up with the funding from FlexPoint Ford, uh, does that open up some new possibilities for you in terms of how you're growing the business? Are there any of those you're, in a, you're able to share just now? Sure. Yeah, we have substantially self-financed Tiger from the get-go. To go to the next level, we really needed a financial partner. And we've known the FlexPoint Ford people for a number of years. They're high quality, um, excellent character. I think we see the business in, in a very similar way. And we actually started this process at the end of last year and we were, it was all coming to a head just as COVID came crashing in. And, and we took, took a breath for a little bit and we sort of looked and said, you know, actually having a financial partner going through this incredible market will be very beneficial. So we, put, we pulled the trigger, we did it. It's been great. And what it's done is it's, it's giving us more financial horsepower. So in terms of hiring people, expanding our product capability, expanding technology, we just, we've got more horsepower behind us and it, it's been great. So we're excited about it. Good. Well, yeah, congratulations. Um, and then, Roger, a couple more ones. Just yeah. one, one thing that's always fascinating me is someone in your position, you've got, you know, you've got, you've got a full-time role almost just dealing with your clients, but you're also running the business. And on top of that, you've got to keep on top of what's going on in the world. So any sort of um, tips or suggestions for people as how to just you know, absorb information as well as doing their, their day job? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, there's, I, I don't have any, you know, great secret, like life hack on it. I just try to absorb as much as I can from everybody I can. And I, I sent a note to our team last night, our, our senior team. I was on a call. I'm involved with the, the Navy SEAL Foundation here in the U.S. And we had a call last night and, um, and they just did a... Uh, they just did a hostage raid and they, they were able to rescue an American who had been taken hostage in Niger. And they, uh, the, the leader, overall leader of the mission's name is Bam Bam Smith. And he talked about the keys to success in this mission. And he could have been talking about Google or Tiger or Goldman Sachs or something else. It was 
highly trained operator, extreme discipline. They practiced the mission a bunch of times. There was a narrow window. There was you know, zero acceptance of failure, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so moral of the story, I'm just always learning from everybody. And, you know, I, I try to stay out of the bubble of, you know, oh, we're in the insurance business. You know, I'm learning every second. I'm learning about the business. I'm learning about other people's businesses, you know, whether it's technology or something else. So that to me is, is part of it. It's just don't get caught up in yourself. So lots of room to grow personally and professionally every day. Yeah, that's a great story. And I think they took, that's happened very recently. Uh, I think they only took 18 minutes to get in and, uh, and rescue the hostages. Probably also, that's a good learning for anybody that thinks every meeting needs to be an hour long. If you can fulfill that mission in 18 minutes, I'm sure there's lots of other things you can do in less yes. time. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, Rod, anything uh, finally we haven't talked about that is worth mentioning? I, I really appreciate the time and, uh, and I always love the fact that you're pushing on the technology side and i look forward to the learnings from your uh, your google event well it won't be quite as dramatic as your recent discussion i hope anyway but it yeah, certainly be some good insights in there and uh yeah we've actually got somebody on that uh who is an ex-broker now working for google actually not selling insurance but actually buying insurance for google so very interested to get the perspective from the customer side as well as you know previously being being a broker but uh, yeah there definitely should be a great event well rob that's Great. Thank you very much for spending, spending some time. Really appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your day and really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Matthew. Have a great day. Well, that brings another great discussion to a close. And Rod is the last of our guests for the year. But it's not the last podcast. Look out next week for another Partners Chat when Robin and I reflect on the last few months, bring you the highlights from our recent predictions event and let you know what is keeping us engaged. In the meantime, I hope you'll be taking at least a few days off, having some time with your family, eating well and catching up on some sleep. <laughs>